Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we normally rank stories from A to Z. I'm Zach, and with me to wrap up 2019, I almost said 18 because time doesn't have any meaning anymore, uh, is a very special guest. You may know him from his work on New Mutants Dead Souls or Phoenix Resurrection or or Uncanny X-Men, or Multiple Man. He's done a lot of astonishing. He did a lot of stuff. It's Matthew Rosenberg. Matthew, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Thank you for having me. And well, does this mean, it, since it's normally A to Z, is it now like we rank stories from M to Z? Because I'm Matt. Is that okay, a- so do you, do you know how long my, my other co-host, Adam, Yes. Uh, you know, that works, A to Z. Yes. Do you know how long it took, and I'm not judging any of you listeners, a handful of our listeners until they got that you know people get things at different speeds i'm not i'm not judging anyone i got it pretty quick um but uh you're you're right you're right on point matt thank you that's a that's not good. even here that's, so i feel like- adam 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 is not he is enjoying his hiatus uh i can tell you that he is filled with holiday cheer right now that's good uh and you know we're we're kind of looking back today uh because you know it's the year's about to end and you know, your time on the X-Men kind of came to a nice little close this year. You had been working on it since, what, 2016-ish? 2017? Um, I'm so bad with time. Uh, yeah, let's say 2016. Is that right? I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a December-y time. Uh, maybe it was 2017. Uh, it must have been. It's 2017. Yeah. 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 Either way, you were you were... One of the key players in the line for, you know, a while leading up to uh, the current lineup that we're in now. And I know you've talked about on actually this podcast before about how you kind of chose that as your exit point on the line instead of pitching and moving forward with that. Just saying, hey, I've made my mark on it. So we wanted to talk about that mark that you made. Let's do it. So you had been a up-and-comer in comics uh, back in 2017. You had a couple of Black Mask books that were well-received, and you had been doing some miniseries like Rocket Mm -hmm. and Kingpin for Marvel. So your first first work on X-Men, and you, a admitted X-Men fan, was bringing Jean Grey back from the dead after 15-ish years. How does that come about for you to be in that position? Um, so yeah, the uh, I've been doing stuff at Marvel that that internally they liked um, the, the Kingpin books. I know were like an editorial, like people were very pleased with, and Rocket, and um, I guess maybe I was working on Secret Warriors already, and uh, you know I, I ended up at at uh, in a meeting with then editor-in-chief Axel Alonso, um, who's a, a great editor and, and chief. <laughs> He's both. Um, and, and he said to me once, just sort of like, you know, what, what would you like to do? And, you know, what are your dream projects? And I said, you know, I'm a, it's X-Men and then Daredevil. Like, those are, the, those are the books that I've read since I was a tiny little kid. Um, mm-hmm. And he... Uh, he was like X-Men and I was like, yeah. And we sort of talked about it for a bit and he was like, well, uh, think about other stuff. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and, uh, I think within the month he called me and was like, 
I actually don't remember if it was him or Mark Pinchia, who was the uh, X-Men group editor at the time. One, it might have been both of them. Called me and they were like, hey, so we have a project, uh, an X-Men project. Um, we want to bring Jean Grey back from the dead, five issues. And I was like, oh. And they're like, do you want to do it? And I said, yes, obviously, I want to do that. Like, that's a dream come true book for me. Um, I'm a huge Gene fan and, and uh, you know, would, would love a shot at it. And they said, cool, you got a week. Like, uh, throw a pitch together in a week, and then we'll, you know, come into the office. And uh, it was my first time in the office as, like, a group, like, like in an actual, like, real meeting and not just, like, coming through the office to, like, after lunch or something and i uh it was me and and all the department Mm -hmm. heads and everything and i i sat down and i went through my pitch for phoenix resurrection wasn't called that at the time but um and i finished and it was just silent just totally like not a single noise and i just sat there being like oh i lost it i blew this now for people who have not read phoenix resurrection it's not your typical event. It's a uh, it's a more cerebral. I know at the time there were a lot of Twin Peaks uh, allusions sure. happening in the conversation, partly because the Showtime revival of yeah. Twin Peaks was on at the same time, and you you did set it at a diner in a small town. I'm not the biggest Twin Peaks fan, so like oh, some of that <laughs> stuff caught me off guard. Um, I've I've never watched a single episode of twin peaks i just know that people said it a lot yeah yeah i i, I really like lynch uh I, lo- I love a lot of david lynch stuff um twin peaks is just one that like i actually plan on rewatching it because um, i watched it when it was on when i was young and was kind of like this is too weird um but so i haven't watched the revival but yes we were in that we were in that weird unfortunate period of of maybe like tonally shadowing what what they do on the show but um yeah, it, it my my pitch for Uncanny um, or for Phoenix Resurrection was uh, sort of weird. I think that Marvel thought I was going to come and wh- I think what they wanted was a big like Kree, Shi'ar, cosmic thing, and I I sort of had to stand in the room and defend it. And and I said, look, you're you want Jean Grey back, and what you're talking about is not Jean Grey stuff. You're talking about Phoenix stuff. Like those are different things. And I said, you know, if I if we're having Jean back, like in my mind, she has been overshadowed by the Phoenix for thirty something years. Um, she plays second fiddle to you know this giant flaming space bird, and I love the giant flaming space bird, but like she's overshadowed by it, and like you know anything that they think are character missteps, they're like, oh well, that was the Phoenix Force, not Jean. They would never. <laughs> anything that's anything that doesn't work they're kind of like well it's not her and then it's like well then who is she if she's not you know like autonomous if she's not you know doesn't have control over her own character direction um and i said you know the phoenix force isn't gone like we just had avx like we have phoenix force all the time people get it all the time like we're not bringing back the phoenix force we're bringing back gene and if we're doing that we have to separate her from the Phoenix Force. It, it needs to be separate. And, and that was my original thinking. And as I walked them through it, uh, I remember Mark Panicia said, so this is a breakup story. And I was like, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a story about uh, a very unhealthy relationship between a dead woman and a space bird and, and her gaining her, her agency back. And, and you know the the question you get asked when you pitch stuff like this at Marvel, the question that gets asked a lot is who's punching who, 
because you'll do a lot of stories of a character and a lot of stuff like that. And it's like, at the end of the day, these books need to have action. And I said, you know, there'll be stuff to punch and there'll be action, but like the role of the X-Men in this is the role of a support network for someone in a, you know, a codependent or abusive relationship. And they need to be there and be family and say, when, when you are ready to leave, like we will do everything we can to get you out. And that was sort of my pitch was like, the X-Men are there to, to help her and, and help her find a home when she, when she can leave the Phoenix. And that was, that was what it was the pitch was and and luckily uh axel and mark and a bunch of the other editors nick Lowe, got when i talked about it more got very excited about it so yeah it's it's very weird to do it you know as the end of the year it was a weekly book and it was this big top build thing and i think people wanted to see space wars and people wanted to see armies and flaming birds disintegrating planets and i was like no it's about a character like it's about a woman regaining her agency after 30 plus years um and like to me that's as much at what x-men is as anything else like you know the punching side of x-men is a very small part of what i care about in x-men so i i wanted to lean into the other parts what i think was interesting about the way that that pitch uh came about and especially uh mark's comment there that this is a breakup story is that it removes a character crutch from gene that mm-hmm. you know for, for better or worse you could always you could always use the phoenix as something to one up a character or do something bigger with a character and blow something out of proportion. I mean, even, you know, I love the Grant Morrison new X-Men run, but he definitely uses the Phoenix to be, you know, a cloud hanging over everything of this could all go really bad. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's not the way the story, his story progresses, but that was something that a lot of writers had used for a while. I know there was about three or four times in the nineties where is the Phoenix force back? Yeah. Uh, Was the, was the plot. So it's interesting that, you know, taking that away has allowed Gene to develop different relationships, different avenues, and force writers to not go in the expected direction with her, which I think was a really interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really the, one of the things I'm really proud of is like, you know, when the book when I was turning it in, they really loved the scripts, and you know, very early on, they were like, okay, we want you to get, you're going to do another X book, um, and they said, you know, we want you to be Gene's team like you, you you're going to run Jane's team book mm-hmm. and i i was very excited and you know there was talk they were like we'll call it x-men red or we'll call it astonishing like we don't know yet and i i said yeah i don't want to do that like i don't the gene the gene <laughs> like the gene at the end of my story is not someone who i think is ready to like lead a team i don't understand the logic of why she would be okay or why people would feel comfortable at putting her in that position or, or all of it. Like this is a person who's just come back from the dead and, you know, given up the love of their life so that they could, you know, return to mortality and, you know, coming to the realization that her whole family died and all this stuff. And like, I was like, I don't know why she would rush back in to put on spandex and get in fights. Like it, it doesn't feel right to me. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And they were really frustrated and they were like trying to get me to do it. And, I said, can I just do New Mutants? Like, I, I just want to do a New Mutants book and I have a New Mutants idea. And they were like, yeah, okay, you can do New Mutants. And they gave the book to Tom Taylor, um, who's a good buddy of mine. And I was like, well, Tom will do a good job. And I'm very curious to see what he did. And I was so happy because at the end of the day, it was like a book that I thought about a lot. I mean, obviously doing a core X-Men book is something that was huge and something I'd never gotten to do. And turning that down because it didn't feel right is like those are the decisions in your career that you're like well if i'm wrong on this like i'm gonna think about this for the rest of my life like um 
And then, so it was a book I thought about a lot, and then seeing Tom absolutely hit it out of the park and do things that I, w I wouldn't have thought to do and take in directions I wouldn't have thought to take it was really so, I mean, that's the, that's the point of being a Marvel writer in a lot of ways, is to like put a thread in there and then watch other people take it and where it goes and see it become its own thing and become a different part of the same tapestry that we're all drawing from. Like that's the thrill of it. And, and that the, the transition from Phoenix resurrection to X-Men red was like the perfect embodiment of that, of like doing something I was really proud of, then stepping away and seeing someone else do something that like you also, I could love as a fan that was rooted in something I did was so fun. Look, it worked out pretty well for everyone involved because X-Men Red was great. And uh, New Mutants Dead yep. Souls, which was your next real project on the X-Men books, uh, that one turned out pretty good. I believe we just put it on our list as the best X-Men story of 2018. Huh. I think that's that's where, it, that's, that's where it landed. So I know for a lot of fans, well, it was pretty much you. between those two books, Red and... Uh, New Mutants, Dead Souls. Uh, uh, that that kind of brings us into Dead Souls. Now, Dead Souls, if Phoenix Resurrection wasn't necessarily the go-to pitch, I'm not sure, you know, you could say that Dead Souls was the go-to pitch for New Mutants. You know, regardless of some of the horror elements that Sienkiewicz and uh, Claremont brought to the book, uh, it had always been kind of thought of as the younger book, the teen book. Yeah. And you went with a pretty different cast, a pretty different direction, and a really compelling story out of that. So what made what made taking the New Mutants and turning it into a, you know, serial horror book kind of worked for you? There's always a problem in the Marvel Universe that, like, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when you are talking about the age of characters, that it becomes sort of a weird bit of juggling to try and figure out how old people are. Um, what are you talking about? Cyclops is in his mid-twenties. Everyone everyone agrees with all of the editorial Cyclops stuff Cyclops is in his mid-twenties, yeah. Um, that is, you know, it, it, that's not how I picture Cyclops. I know that uh, other people have a different feeling. But, but I, I, I remember I was like, well, I want to do a New Mutants book. I want to do a lot of the core cast. And I said, but I, like, I, I don't want to infantilize them. I, we can't sit here and pretend these are children anymore. Like, they've saved the world a ton of times. And I was like, and just in continuity, like they became teachers and they've taught other children who are probably not children anymore. And I was like, and there are canonical issues where like, you know, they go to bars, they show, they get carded. Like they, they're definitely characters that are like adults um, for all of them. I mean, Rain, Rain had a teenage son for a yeah, little Rain bit. Rain had a teenage son. I mean, like, you know, Karma owns a fortune 500 company like these are not children <laughs> and so i i said like yeah i want to do something that's new mutants and and but figure out what that feeling is because what the new mutants book is once you remove the idea that it's the little kid x-men is sort of a little more complicated and uh, i went back and sort of reread all of the you know the initial run and i think the the real defining factor is like they're just in over their heads and don't know what's going on in a way that the X-Men kind of aren't often. Like, the X-Men are often mm -hmm. against odds that seem unwinnable. The New Mutants kind of have a, have a like, we don't understand what the hell's happening to us vibe um, that's really fun and I think plays into sort of the, the youthful feeling of the book. But I was like, that's not intrinsically tied to them being kids. Like, they could certainly have that experience in other ways. And... Um, 
so that was sort of the the roots of that pitch. But then I was like, you know, I I, I didn't want to have um, Bobby and and Sam in the book right away, and I didn't I didn't want to do certain things. And I I remember I just pitched early. I said, yeah, like I wanted to be one and done issues, but with that thread line going through of like something more sinister going on and something weirder and darker. And, uh, and I said, and I, I, you know, we need to figure out what they are and they're not the X-Men. Like they're not superheroes saving the world. They need a different direction. And so that's sort of where the pitch came from. The book is actually a weird thing because things got moved around. So like the, the first issue was not the first script I wrote and isn't what I would launch the book with really. So there's like a couple things in there that like, feel weird to me like one it opens on zombies which is very strange for a book and i was like that's not how i would have launched it but also like we don't introduce them entirely like we introduce them in caption boxes but like you sort of hit the ground running in a way that like mm-hmm. uh, i think was off-putting to a couple people and in some ways i like that we do that in hindsight but at the time i was kind of like this isn't necessarily a way to get new readers on board with this book um, so I spent a lot of time sort of backtracking to make it more new reader friendly in some ways. And then in some ways not because there's a whole things about, you know, strong guys and Rain's relationship, which is going to be impenetrable if you're not. There's a, there's a, there's a handful of deep cuts, uh, in this book, which as a, you know, as someone who has read a, a large chunk of the X-Men, I appreciate it, but I could see how to a new reader that could be a little, uh, hard to wrap their mind around. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, like some of the things that I, especially when I was discovering the X-Men and, and sort of falling in love with the X-Men, sort of the fun of the X-Men was always like the the stories look both ways, that they push mm-hmm. things forward like radically, where it's like teams are changing and people's powers are changing and people are dying and people are disappearing. But they're also so much looking back and so much like self-referential stuff and things you don't understand. And like, it really makes you like, kind of obsessive like the x-men is a is a as a franchise like sort of forces you to like know more of what came before and know the history and and so i wanted to do that on new mutants in some ways and like really sort of embrace that to be like yeah we're, we're taking them to a place they've never been but also gonna be looking back the whole time and acknowledging stuff that came before it um but also the book was pitched as an ongoing and then uh was going to be an ongoing series and then part of that, I think, was tied to the movie, and we thought we'd get a bump from the movie. And part of it was tied to, you know, the old editorial regime. And then mm-hmm. when the editorial regime changed, there was sort of a lot of things that were like, well, things were brought up and reevaluated, I think. But one of the things was like, well, there's no New Mutants movie coming. And they were like, well, let's shelve this, and then we'll relaunch it and later date. And so it quickly became a miniseries when I was like, oh, we're very much in motion with this like very long story arc. So there's sort of a lot of shuffling of the book in weird ways that like, I'm, I'm sort of proud of the gymnastics that me and Adam and, and Jordan and everyone who worked on the book did. But like, there's a very different, the pitch is a very different thing than what the book is because there's a whole thing with a different team of new mutants who show up. Like that's the original end of the book had an entirely different second act really that is like wildly different that involves you know shatterstar and and richter and and uh sunspot and maybe not richter who was it it was shatterstar cannonball sunspot skids 
like there was a whole second team going to be brought in and like it was going to change what the book was and like our core cast from the initial book was going to be sort of the the villains in the second book it was very it was a very intricate kind of thing that that ended up on the cutting room floor probably for the better but so yes when you say the pitch is very wild it's like well it's what the book is isn't even what the pitch was really that's that's very interesting to hear i had not i i knew that it was intended to come out kind of simultaneously with this film that is yet to be released but (laughs) but uh that's interesting to hear the way it progressed so you're saying that initially you weren't going to end with them all being robot demons Mm, there was different versions there was a version where they were all warlocked and there was a version where they weren't um but they were sort of all the bad stuff that Karma was having them do was pinned on them. Mm. And then they were on the run as the other New Mutants team hunted them. Um, I think was the original, I, you know, I'm a couple of years out from it, so I, I don't, but I think that, How dare you not remember every intricate plot detail of this of story that, that you didn't yeah. end up writing. Um, yeah, so the, there was one where they were warlocked, but it was like, they were being hunted while they were that. And there was one where they were not, but the warlock stuff worked in a different way. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, like the, when you build these things, there are a lot of different permutations and visions of them. It's not, what you see on the page is almost never what is in the pitch, um, in the first pitch. Mm-hmm. So, but New Mutants especially was a very like sort of strange birth as it were. Now. Another strange birth, or at least strange strange existence that came around the same time as New Mutants. Uh, you did a multiple man book. You decided to bring Jamie yeah. Madrox back from the dead. Uh, now I understand everything that happened in this story, uh, but but for some of our listeners uh, who may not have, could could you let us know why you decided to choose the most confusing way to bring Jamie Madrox back from the dead? Um, because it's funny. <laughs> It was. Don't get don't don't get it twisted. Multiple Man was a very enjoyable book. It was also one of the most dense comics that I've seen in a little bit, especially out of a big two house. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were definitely trying to cram a lot in there. Uh, I think that's important if you're trying to like make people's minds spin and like get sort of baffled by things. You're going to have to put a lot of plot in there, moving very quickly. Um, I also, at one point, I think I said in an editorial meeting, I was like, I think the, the key is to just go at full speed so no one can tell if, um, you know, we're on the road or not. Because we <laughs> we were just kind of like, you know, uh, there were a lot of notes where like, does this make sense? And we were like, um, I think so. But like, we're not going to spend a day sitting down trying to like really map it out. So we're just going to say yes. And it does. It all makes sense. I have the charts and graphs to like map it all out. But uh, very Hickman-esque. Very Hickman-esque. Yeah, they're not. They're not uh, printed out nicely there in my gross handwriting. But other than that, sure. Yeah, there's there's some circles in there. There's some uh, there's some pie charts. Um, but yeah, I think I think the idea, you know, Phoenix Resurrection did well, and they were pleased, and then um, they were pleased with, you know, wh- where New Mutants was going, developing. And, but they were frustrated that I was like going to New Mutants after Phoenix Resurrection. And they were like, you know, you can do more. Like, what do you want to do? And I said, multiple man. 
And they were like, no. And I said, yeah, no, that's what I want. And I just remember having this conversation where I was like, look, you guys basically are telling me that like I earned a, a get out of jail free card where I, I get what I want. And they were like, yeah, we mean like X-Force or X-Factor or like something like that. And I said, yeah, that's cool. But like the whole point of a get out of jail free card is like you use it when you need it. Like you guys are going to do an X-Force and an X-Factor book one way or the other. Like and maybe I get it and maybe I don't like if I'm going to have a reason to get out of jail, like I want to do something that's worth going to jail for. And so, you know, I was like, you guys are never going to bring do a multiple man book without me sort of kicking and screaming. You guys are never going to bring Jamie back. Like it's not going to be something anyone else cares about particularly, or like, you know, most, most of the X writers don't care about it one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, like I, I want to use it for this. And they were, they were, you know, they obliged eventually it was sort of a lot of arm twisting but uh my initial my initial i guess this is now the the how pitches work conversation but my initial pitch was that we bring him back uh, in the initial document he's the only character who appears in it um there are not the other x-men don't appear that like when he shows up he's figuring things out himself and then he goes to a future where he's taken over the world and he's dominating the world and then he has to fight himself and he has to go back and stop himself and there were no other characters in my initial pitch it was just jamie madrox and and i said and because it's got time travel in it you know they invade the world take it over destroy it or whatever and then he goes forward in time and stops it and or goes back in time and stops it and he realizes that the way to stop it is to stop himself that he is you know the he's the villain in the story as well as the hero uh, my initial the initial end was like that he goes and he 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 dies at the end and so hold on hold on uh, hold on yeah your get out of jail free card the i want to bring jamie back initially did yeah. involve at the end not actually bringing jamie back yeah that was the funniest part was that he died <laughs> my initial pitch was that he he goes and we have this huge universe ending thing that he stops and he saves the universe. But what he saved it from is himself. He's the only character in the book. And in the end, he dies and disappears. And no one ever knows it happened. And I was like, page 20 of the last issue is the X-Men looking out the window being like, did you just hear something? And that's it. And he's just gone. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he only came back for these five issues and he saved the world from himself. And, you know, guys. Um, and they were like, you absolutely 100% cannot bring him back just to kill him again. And I was like, that's, I think the most Jamie thing I can do with him is like, do that. Um, I'm glad that I was talked out of it, but yes, I want to. That's a, that's, that's a bold move uh, with other people's toys. A very funny one, but wow. Well, it, it, you know, there are other people's toys in the, in the sense that like, he was already, you know, it's not in the sense that he's already dead. Like, if people want to, like, I'm returning him to his status quo, his status quo is just dead. And then he'd be dead again, and it wouldn't matter. Like, if people wanted to use him, they would have to figure out how to bring him back to life again, because I'd already done it, and then killed him. So it wasn't, I don't think it was that radical of a, you know, way to break Jamie, because he was already broken. Mm -hmm. But uh, I brought him back, and he's okay. He's okay. I mean, look, you brought him back, and then you did end up killing him. Like, you got your wish at the die. end. He got better again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my wish was not to kill him, really. My wish was just Fair. that it would be hilarious to have a book. I mean, if you, you know, imagine if the end of uh, Wolverine Returns was that Wolverine dies again. <laughs> like, that's super funny. Um, 
you know, it's not it's not based on on. I mean, it's more funny for Jamie, but I think like any superhero thing where you hype up the return of a character and then immediately kill them again is like, it's just great. That's just super pretty funny. good. That's pretty good. Uh, the book the book we got turned out to be uh, just real gorgeous. Uh, Andy McDonald did an incredible yeah. job uh, turning your ideas and everything into work. And really, you've you've been lucky uh, with those two books, especially uh, sure, yeah. with Andy and with Adam uh, Gorham. Oh my gosh, they they quickly shot up to my list of some of my favorite writer or artists working today. Yeah, yeah, and they're. Uh among my favorite people in the world, like Andy and Adam are two very dear friends of mine who I, I love greatly and are, are the only thing about them that is better than their art is their just general kindness and pleasantness. And um, they're both super sweet. And so, yes, I was very lucky to work with them 100%. That's, that is absolutely wonderful to hear. Uh, now, moving moving from that, you got to play with a couple more of your favorite toys. I know on uh, previous interviews you had mentioned that you know when you knew that New Mutants was going to be a uh, you know limited mm-hmm. series, that you you did want to keep those threads going. I know we've talked about uh, I believe back in our C two E two episode uh, how you wanted to kind of bring back some of the Claremontian style of long plot threads that would weave in and yeah. out of stories into x-men you know in the way that can actually make sense in the modern era where runs are generally not 18 year runs sure, on yeah, book. yeah you know i i think i think there there's that uh, the idea of like a connectivity between stories but also you know i i i really love the idea i i think there's a there's a sense in fandom that is sort of i i i have a strong dislike for it where there's the sense that that what books matter and what books don't and obviously the sort of like the basic the basic idea i always say is like well did you enjoy it then it mattered if you didn't enjoy it didn't. but that's you know it's a semantic mm-hmm. argument to bring to a debate but i think the general principle of the idea is like that that fans think that only the ongoing books move the characters forward in any real way and and I think for especially for the the generation of writers I came into Marvel with like with Ed Brisson and Kelly Thompson and Donnie Cates and Chip Zdarsky and like uh, all of us sort of came in and the idea that like we really love a miniseries we love a, a story that has a beginning a middle and an end um, and and I think there's good chance to sort of say that like no these books can matter even more like you're gonna get the end you're gonna get a resolution and and so that was a big thing for me too was like not just keeping the plot threads going indefinitely, but also really moving characters and pushing the ball down the field on, on who these characters are in, in short miniseries that are, you know, leave people sort of bewildered and gasping for more, and then you can revisit them. That was sort of a big plan for me, I think, especially in X-Men. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know you had mentioned uh, on a different podcast that one of the ways you were going to continue some of these stories is with New Mutants, uh, initially bringing it into Astonishing X-Men, kind of dovetailing in there. And we got a bit of a cameo of that, but I know uh, yeah. you had mentioned some things had changed uh, kind of in the in the making of that. So was the initial plan to run your Astonishing kind of in line with uh, the work you were doing on the Uncanny stuff? Or where <clears throat> No, no. The, <laughs> the Astonishing was going to... I mean, it's, it's a whole... It's all funny because I pitched a bunch of stuff on Astonishing because they brought me in for Astonishing because 
it was doing really well. And they mm -hmm. said to Charles, like, book's doing well. Like, we want you to keep going. And Charles was like, no, I had a 12-issue story to tell, and I told it. Like, I, I don't have anything else to say with this. Um, right. And so they were like, well, the book's still going. And, and I sort of, they sat me down and were like, yeah, the book's going and popular. Like, we want it to keep going. And, you know, I'm friends with Charles and... I just sort of had this moment of being like, well, if he doesn't think it should this story should continue, like, I don't want to be the person who does that. Like, that's crappy. So I was like, I'll take the book, but like, we're just going to relaunch it with a new thing. And they were like, well, then we'll make it astonishing one. And I was like, no, like, don't just make it 13. Like, these are, that's how these things are supposed to work. <laughs> like, um, and I understand why things relaunch and get rebranded, but I was like, there's no reason to rebrand it. Like the book is doing well and we'll get a spike and it'll hit its natural point. And, you know, it's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was going to be astonishing longer. And yeah, the New Mutants stuff was going to be resolved in that. But then very early in astonishing, uh, ironically, my second, my second arc of astonishing was going to be very similar to what Ed ended up doing in Extermination. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that was my... my uh, the... I told this story the other day when I probably shouldn't have, so I might as well tell it again. Um, it's already out there. Uh, we were at uh, one of the Marvel creative retreats, and uh, they were like, okay, X group is up after lunch. And I, I was sitting with Ed, and uh, I said, yeah, I'm going to pitch what's going on in Astonishing. What are you talking about? And he said, I have this miniseries I want to do. And he said, he said to me, like, do you care who goes first and who goes second? And I said, I don't care. Do you? And he said, no, it doesn't matter to me. And I said, well, you go first then. And he said, okay. And he got up and he pitched extermination and was like, yeah. And at the end we bring back Scott and that was going to be my second act of the astonishing was havoc bringing like rescuing Scott. Um, it was going to be a big Mr. Sinister thing that, you know, he thought they'd clone Scott and they, and he wanted to go destroy the clones. And then when he gets there, he realizes that it's not a clone. He's, he's very jealous of. Yeah. 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 Sinister, you know, it's fun to like, you know, Sinister's like a love affair with Scott is super fun and fascinating. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I really wanted to play with the idea that Havoc is always like, why are you obsessed with my brother and not me kind of thing, I think is a really, you know, a very sort of Havoc sentiment of like always being the little brother and just being like, you don't really care about, me the way you care about him and i don't understand why even though you kind of want to kill him and destroy him like so that's what i wanted to do so then ed pitched extermination and it was great and everybody loved it in the room and uh then they were like matt what are you going to talk about and i was like well now i don't really have anything um but i you know i went home and i reworked a bunch of stuff and it was like this is going to be the second act of astonishing and by the time i got ready to pitch it they were like um astonishing as ending even though our numbers were really good they were like it's it's coming to a close and i was like why is it coming to a close and they're like we're moving you to uncanny um everything's coming to a close a, a good consolation yeah prize, yeah if there ever was and it was one. you know they were like it's going to be you and kelly and ed and kelly and ed are two of my closest friends in the whole world and um so it was, we were all very excited and uh so yeah, but so the a lot of the astonishing plans, like the plans to put new mutant stuff in astonishing, and the plans in astonishing ended up spilling into uncanny. Like, you know, I never got past those six issue marks where like there was stuff I wanted to do, so they kept just spilling over and spilling over. Um, but you know, I think that I think there's something sort of fun in that if you 
now especially with Ed's annual and uncanny that goes back to Phoenix Resurrection, um, which is something I was going to do, but then Ed came to it separately and was like, can I do this? And I was like, yeah, go nuts, man. I was going to do it anyway. Um, there is a connective through line of everything I wrote in X-Men sort of connecting and into one story, which I'm, I'm pretty pleased with because it's a big 48, 50 page thing, 50 issue thing. It, tie, it ties into this nice, nice little, uh, nice little era, which is interesting as we were transitioning in and out of different timelines, uh, trying to find a, uh, you know, a solid ground before, before some of the Don of X that, uh, you know, all the X-Men stuff that's going on right now. I remember, you know, talking to some friends saying, Hey, you know what? It kind of organically feels like, uh, between some of the writers like Matt and Ed and Kelly, there's there's like this core of what X-Men kind of is now. And it feels pretty good in a way that it hadn't for, you know, sometimes before then there had been great creators on there that for whatever mm-hmm. reason, the books just didn't land for everybody. And it was, it was really growing into an interesting point. It was a great direction to see it going. I know a lot of people were excited when uh, Uncanny got initially announced with the three of you. Now you guys, you guys got a chance to work together. Uh, you know, you'd mentioned you guys were close friends. Uh, how was it working with that group and then having to, you know, come up with a story that works for all of your, you know, different nuances and the different ways you want to treat these characters? How did you guys get to a point where, you know, this was a story? Because it doesn't feel like, to me, uh, the disassembled story is a story that Matthew Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, or Ed Brisson would have written by themselves. It feels very much as a, you know, a synthesis of a lot of different creative minds coming together. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, I think luckily uh, we're also close. The three of us are really close. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I pretty much talk to Kelly and Ed every day. We work together, but I think we all have different strengths, I think, I think, uh, and different weaknesses. And I think we were pretty honest with each other about being like, I don't like when you do this, and I, I really want you to do this. Um, I could be wrong about some of it. The initial idea, I think we walked in, it was funny because they called us in and it was very last minute to sort of call us in to pitch it. Um, but we built it in a room that was like the three of us and a bunch of the editors. Um, mm-hmm. But I had been building out Astonishing X-Men. So like I had story that wasn't being used and story that I wanted to do where Kelly and Ed like didn't have as much X-Men story just like lying around. So in the initial thing, I got very nervous because I was like, well, I, I really wanted to do this thing that was, um, I, I pitched it and I, I, I said, if Astonishing keeps going, it would be my second year of Astonishing. And I was like, I want to call it Grandchildren of the Atom. And it's, it's the idea of uh, Legion and X-Men going to war, like the, the most prominent X-Men's children who are much more powerful than any of the other X-Men. And they're tearing the world apart. And for the first time, you see the X-Men kind of experiencing the same sense of terror and fear from what mutants can be that we see in like the random civilian who is uh, running and what it means and how they sort of face that idea mm-hmm. of just like, you know, like some of them having to face the fact that it's like, we are dangerous. Like this is a dangerous thing that we can do. And, and like, um, and what that means and how to embrace that and how to still be a family and how to take care of your kids. And, and, you know, basically the idea of like, you know, what happens when you're, when the next generation moves past you and beyond you. And, and, um, so that was something that I had and we were going back and forth in the room with a lot of stuff. And I threw that out there and I think everyone really responded. Um, 
what I wanted to do when it was astonishing and what we ended up doing are radically different. And that's because Kelly and Ed came in and, and made it much better. Well, yeah, Ed put Glob Herbert in a starring role. He, he, he did what he does best right there and it made everyone happy. Yeah. Uh, Ed put Glob in it. Um, Kelly made sure we didn't kill honey badger. Um, (laughs) so everyone was doing their thing. Um, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a classic uh, X-Men writers, uh, uncanny X-Men writers slack because Kelly, for some reason, thought we wanted to kill Honey Badger when neither of us wanted to do it. I would always be like, leave Honey Badger alone. So we kept just like writing the titles of scripts as like the one where Honey Badger dies, even though there was like never an intention. Like I like Honey Badger a lot. Um, that, but Kelly is very protective of her. That makes a very good joke that Brisson had in Extermination even better. Because uh, that made that made it into a comic right there, and I have to yeah. imagine I have to imagine now that that was very intentional. Oh yeah, I I think a lot of uh, a lot of uh, especially me and Ed's. Um, I I've been friends with Ed for a, like almost a decade, and and so there's a lot of uh, uh, things between us where we will definitely take shots at each other. Um, he's blown up my favorite restaurant in two issues and I've blown up his favorite restaurant in two issues. And it's sort of an ongoing. That's beautiful. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, if anybody ever comes to New York and wants Thai food, uh, Thai select on by the Javits center is Ed's favorite restaurant and, uh, go there, fill it up so he can't get a table. Um, that's all I ask of you. And, and NYCC 2020, the guys, that's your, uh, that's your goal. Yeah. Private parties every night and Thai select. So Ed can't eat. Um, that's why there's a planet in Annihilation Scourge that gets blown up called Thai Select is one word because it's the Thai restaurant that Ed likes to eat at. And we just do that and send it to each other and curse at each other. And that's, uh, that's it, how it works. But yeah, so um, that was a weird random digression. But No, no, it's good. It's good. That, that's the content people crave. You know, I think, I think some of the skeleton of what, the, what uh, Uncanny Disassembled was was mine. But then Kelly and Ed, like I, I sort of they really ran with it and made it their own thing in, in awesome ways that like I couldn't do and couldn't conceive of. So yeah, I think, I think there are parts where all of us can see ourselves in it and it's really good. And I'm proud of that. And just like the way working with your friends and having them do something that they're proud of is cool. And yeah, I, I, I think it's a fun book and Kelly and Ed are two of my favorite writers. So it's, it's fun for me because I have a little bit of detachment to it because I didn't write two thirds of it. So I like, right. I got to sit there and, and just be like, oh, man, like, this is a cool scene. This is a cool moment. And it's not mine. So that's fun. Now, you did get a chance after that to really have your own thing with uh, your, I guess it's subtitled in the trades, Cyclops and Wolverine yeah. uh, run on Uncanny, which I didn't. Is, I didn't name it that. We're not saying who did. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that's what the trade department no, has yeah. told I me. mean, I think that's a sales decision <laughs> because I came up with names that they that were cryptic and weird. So they were just like, no, we're not going to do that. Wait, you, you, the guy who named an entire miniseries after me without you songs, uh, yeah. is going to have cryptic and weird names. The, well, the names are in the issues because the, the story, the, the first part is, uh, this is forever. Mm-hmm. And then the second act is called, we have always been, uh, because, uh, this is forever is like one of the first things that is said in the book because blindfold says mm-hmm. it and then the last line of the book is we've always been at war so we just cut it off at we've always been um 
you know, it's sort of this idea of, of what, whatever. It's a, it's a metaphor. I don't, I don't need to explain it. It's what it is. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like people can grasp the concept of a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, so yes, they're called Cyclops and Wolverine or Wolverine and Cyclops. I don't remember which. Now, that that book, uh, I, would, I would say I've heard just as many people say it's one of their favorite X-Men stories as I've heard them say is one of their least favorite X-Men sure. stories, which which means you made an impact, oh, yeah. dang it. Um, now, what I guess in my mind, the most striking thing is there is a very big tonal shift between Uncanny X-Men 10 uh, that you, Ed, yeah. and Kelly did, and then Uncanny X-Men 11 where you yeah. solo wrote it. What made you? I know you kind of define this as the last X Men story ever. So is that why you wanted to say, you know, we just had this big, you know, event story. Now let's get to the last one, the dark version, the this is the end of everything story. Just in terms of the stakes of them, they were different mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm going to spoil books that are a year old now. So if you're listening to this podcast and not up to date, this is where you check out maybe. But um, the or you know, listen, whatever, it's fine. Uh, the, you know, the first 10 issues are about clearing. The idea was always that we have to clear the board for Hickman, Mm -hmm. that we're, we're ending things. Um, you know, sort of the marching orders were, you know, Jonathan's coming in and this is his plan. And, you know, we sat in a room and he, he told us his plans for the next few years and, um, they're amazing. And, you know, everyone's jaws were on the floor and, then they took, you know, us aside and, you know, me and Kelly and Ed, and we're like, you know, we're, we're, we're ending things and, uh, you know, give, give the X-Men an end. (laughs) And so that's what disassembled was, but it had no sort of, but early on we realized that it was going to go into, while this was happening, like timeline shifted and, and launch dates shifted. And that's where age of X-Men was born. And so it, it wasn't, quite as dire like the story Mm -hmm. suddenly like we knew that it wouldn't be doom and gloom because we knew that they were going to be appearing in a book the next week that was Mm -hmm. you know like them in a utopia and it's hard to be like to tell the sad story of of someone's death when they're you know that the people already know that they're going to be in heaven in a week like um and so those books were sort of a little more uh, a little more lighthearted, a little more like epic save the world kind of x-men Right. And then uh, when we shifted and it was just me, you know, I had a, I had a bunch of talks with Marvel and, and they talked about what they wanted and what they wanted to see and what I wanted. And, you know, early on I was told, like, look, this is the end of an era of X-Men. Like, this is the le- you're writing the last X-Men of this era. And and I, I remember I said specifically, like, what do you consider the eras? Because, I you know, I think everyone would define those differently. And they ended up having a sure. marketing thing around it where there was like, you know, the X-Men number one, the giant size to, right. I think Jim Lee to age of apocalypse to grant to now. And they were like, your, this era of X-Men that you're ending is starts at Grant Morrison and ends with you. And I was like, okay. Um, which is a heavy as hell sentence, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I just thought about that and I was like, well, Grant era sort of opens on 8 million mutants dying. Um, 
and and what has gotten better for them like how how have things improved and how has any of it worked and and you just see that it hasn't that it like you know there's glimmers and there's glimpses of it getting better but like it's just been a fight to live and like you know not not to not to be too much of a downer but every fight to live uh you you end up losing right and and, you know one of the things i was told early on is like well jonathan's bringing them to this new light and this new like high place of of um you know, it, uh, we're bringing them out of the darkness and into the light. And they were like, so you, you take them somewhere really dark and, and, and make it dark so that it feels extra light when Jonathan comes in. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I remember saying, they were like, you know, I, I had the conversation with a bunch of the editors where they, you know, they, I said, like, they were like, you love Claremont. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, well, think about, you know, the Outback Saga and Mutant Massacre and Extinction Agenda and, and, fall of the mutants and all these all these really heavy dark books and they were like that's your mindset that's your target and i said okay um so that's sort of the tone shift is like uh obviously the book shifts when you know to cyclops he comes back and 55 x-men have just died like they haven't but to him they have like that's not going to feel the same as as what you know, Gene and Storm and their teams are feeling like their teams are fighting to live and survive, but it's, it, there isn't a mass extinction underway of, of friends and, and teammates. So that was part of the tonal shift, but also like the point was to march it towards the sad ending that, that Grant, you know, Grant so started with a sad opening and then promised us a better future and we didn't get it. Like no one else delivered that. And so I, you know, put it in the ground so that other, so that it could come be reborn from a little seed, as it were. It was definitely a run with a lot of emotional heft to it. Thank you. I, I, I think there were definitely early on before people knew what was coming next. Uh, there was a lot of concern about where this thing was going. Cause look, you, you may have killed a few X-Men. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know X-Men fans themselves can be incredibly passionate. They love sure. these characters to the you know, to the point of a fault in some cases. Uh, but there, there was a lot going. How did that how did that sit with you seeing those reactions and, you know, seeing your work, knowing that, you know, grand grand scheme of things, the week after your book ends, everything's going to be better for X-Men than it ever was. It's a funny thing because, you know, the, one of the, one of the sort of guiding, guiding things I really thought about in the, in the world and in the universe uh, was actually, and I talked to Jordan about this, was an interview I read with, with Jonathan, with Hickman, when uh, he was doing Fantastic Four. And he did an interview somewhere where someone was like, you know, you're killing the human torch. And like, no one really thinks that's real. Like no one believes he's going to be dead. How do you deal with that? And he said, uh, I'm not writing a story about, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He said it a lot more eloquently, but he said, you know, I'm not writing a story about the people who read Fantastic Four. I'm writing a story about the Fantastic Four and they don't know they're in a comic and they don't know he's going to come back. And I have to sell the emotional weight in that world and in that minute of those characters. And if you care, you'll come along for the ride. And if you don't like, well, then I've lost you. And that, that's what it is. And, um, you know, that, that was sort of a guiding principle for me of like, well, I'm, I'm selling the idea that these characters are dying. And that is, you know, halfway through my run, we're getting covers solicited with like characters who I've already killed on them. Um, I remember when in the last issue I kill havoc and I had someone, 
you know, curse me out and be like, Havoc's my favorite character. You know, how dare you? And I was like, you know, they're on a, in a, on the cover of a comic that comes out next week, right? Like, they're going to be fine. Like, I can't tell you why or how, but like, it's going to be okay. Um, you know, I, I think it's conflicting. I, 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 you never want to hurt people with your work. And obviously the Wolfsbane mm-hmm. issue did that. And that is obviously like never my intention or anyone's intention um, to, to, you know, to, to hurt people, uh, especially people who, who are looking to a thing where they find a sense of solidarity and comfort. And that was difficult. And like, you know, I could sit here and talk about the choices I made and why I made them in that issue and, and what I based it on. And, and, but none of that matters. Like it doesn't matter because it's once I wrote it, uh, it's not my story. It's whoever's reading its story and it, and it hurt people. And that's obviously not my goal. It's not why I write comics or, or make anything or do anything. Um, so that's that's hard. But in terms of people being upset, like, yeah, you're supposed to be upset. Like, that's that was the job. That was my job was to make people upset. Like, if people didn't care, um, that sucks. And obviously, there are people who didn't care, and that's true of any book. Like, you know, you pick up any book, and people are like, yeah, I didn't really care about this, and you're like, well, that sucks. Um, but like, yeah, you're. I, I wanted people to be upset about this era of X Men ending. That was the point. That it was this was the failure of the X-Men that Grant Morrison promised us succeeding. And in some ways going all the way back to Chris Claremont and going back to John Byrne, but going back to Stan and Jack, like this, I was saying like this failed and like the world didn't accept it. And, and they went down fighting, but they died and it's, and it's sad and it's heartbreaking. And, um, you know, I wrote a sad story and I don't regret writing a sad story. Uh, I think the world needs sad stories. And I think, you know, people who, who look to the X-Men for hope, like, sure, yeah, I've looked to the X-Men in difficult times for hope, too, and, and found it and needed it. But it, the hope only works if there are times that feel hopeless. Otherwise, it's empty and hollow. And so I knew that I had to write the hopeless so that Jonathan could come in and write the hope, and it would feel that much greater. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing to do you know like i don't want to be like i was jonathan's opening act because i wasn't in some ways i'm the closing act of a whole different slew of creators but yeah i mean it's it's a hard thing you know i don't want anyone who bought the book to be like i hated it and some of them do and it's like well that sucks sorry but sometimes you hate art i don't know i you know i just went to the you know the peggy guggenheim museum in in venice uh, two weeks ago and about a third of the art in there i hate it i'm sorry like it's not it's not for me. It's not all art is for people. And I don't want to be like, this isn't for you. You didn't get it. I don't mean it in that way. But like, yeah, you're going to bump people out sometimes. And like, uh, that sucks. I, I don't want, you know, if I could send everyone who hated the book their money back, I would. But at the same time, it's also like, you know, I spent a year doing conventions and like, there are people coming up to me in tears being like, this is the first X-Men book I've loved in 20 years. And like, the reaction was really overwhelmingly positive and amazing. And you know, a lot of people messaging me and emailing me and all the time being like, this meant so much to me. And like, I, I love seeing the X-Men, you know, fighting for their lives and dealing with loss and all these things. And, you know, that's nice. And that's a nice feeling. So it's, it's, you know, the, I think that there's a, there's an interesting thing because of the way also the internet works. Right. You know, like I, I, I had someone at a convention come up to me and be like, 
you you wrote an X-Men book that so many people hated and I, I loved it. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, I was like, well, thanks for reading. And he was like, is it weird that so many people hated it? And I was like, I was like, hey, you just waited online to talk to me, right? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, how long did you wait? And he was like, an hour and 45 minutes. And I was like, every single person on this line had my run of X-Men. Like, that's 180 people who were ahead of you waiting and all of them being like, I love this book. So like, not everybody hated it. And like, you don't want to be like, dude, people actually liked it or whatever. Like, it's not a popularity contest, but it is interesting because it's like, you know, the book sold well and consistently like we, Mm-hmm. We, it sold well and people, you know, like retailers loved it and, you know, for the most part. And fa- I have a lot of fans who really loved it. And like when people don't like it, you have to be like, well, some people did. And like the things that you like, maybe those people don't like. And it's okay to have stuff for both groups and it's okay. And, you know, maybe there's stuff that everybody likes and maybe there's stuff that everybody hates. And yeah, it's art. I don't, I don't really overly concern myself on it, even though I've just been talking about it for 10 minutes. <laughs> No, that that's good. I'll, I'll tell you, I th- I think a lot of the it was you know what you're saying is there's people who loved it and hate it, which the way I've always seen it is there's yeah. heavy emotions there. It's it's swinging one way or another, and the problem with some online stuff sure. is that it amplifies any sort of heavy emotion yeah. just to the next level, uh, which can sure be uh, it can sure be an impact. I know that's been something that I've been really thinking about as, you know, I've been talking about X-Men online for a little bit now and trying to see how those things fall out. What I do think, what I do think is good about that run is it brought a lot of interesting ideas to the forefront. Uh, It really was a capstone on this is, this is the end of the X-Men and going back and seeing that stuff and what uh, the teams were Mm -hmm. doing with age of X-Men Uh, in the meantime, all of it, you know, as a closing act to one era of X-Men fading into another era of X-Men, I am so appreciative of the different ways that the different teams said, okay, how do we, how do we sum up X-Men? How do we, how do we put a bow on it and say, this is what we did and this is what X-Men was for a while. Now it's going to be something yeah. different. I mean, that was it. I, like, this is, you know, uh, when you write at the beginning of a story, this is the last X-Men story, you know, that's not true. But the sentiment of saying this is the last X-Men story is, one, you want the characters to feel it, and, like, this is the fight for our lives, and we're not going to walk away from it. But also, like, what the X-Men is now is fundamentally a different thing. And um, it's great, and I love it. I love what Jonathan's doing. I love, you know, a lot of the X-Writers are, are very dear friends of mine, and I love their books a lot. And, you know, I think I think some of the best stuff is still to come. But the it's a very different thing. And like, I was very much broadcasting, like this is an end of an era. And it's, it's interesting now because a lot of people, like I've had so many people who were like super angry or upset online, um, yelling at me and, and, and frustrated about like the general tone and the darkness of it come back and be like, Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, the number one question is like, did you know what Jonathan was going to do? And I was like, yes, he was working on it before I was working on it. Like he was working on um, Hawks and Pox before, while I was still on, Aston- when I was starting Astonishing. So like, yes, I knew what he was going to do. And then they're like, mm-hmm. oh, oh. And, it, and you can see what it is change. 
in that moment. Like you can see people be like, oh, so this is all connected. And that's sort of a like, uh, it was really fun to sort of be a part of that because one, obviously like the handoff is very unique because you normally in comics, like you finish and it's your job to sort of take the toys and put them back on the shelf and, and have the next writer take down what they want. But in this case, like mm -hmm. I knew what was coming and we were told like, yeah, it doesn't, none of it matters in some ways. Like it's, it's the only thing that's carrying over is sort of tone and feeling because a lot of, not the only thing, but like a lot of sort of, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into Hawks and Pox stuff because I'm not going to spoil someone else's story, but like there's a sort of reset button built into it in some ways without actually rebooting the continuity of the universe. And so we had this immensely freeing thing, but it also allowed us to set the stage for them, for, for the Hawks and Pox teams. And so it's really one, a cool opportunity to really go hard and tell stories that we wouldn't be able to tell otherwise, but also like seeing people be like, Oh, these things are connected is, is fun because that's, something as a Marvel fan that I've sort of always intrinsically understood that like the line from Stan Lee and Jack Kirby to me is a straight line for all intents and purposes. Like you can't say, I'm sure, I'm sure that's not an intimidating line at all. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's intimidating every single day. It, it's, it's, it's brutal, but like, you know, the same thing can't be said at DC that DC it's like, well, there are reboots and there's different universes. And obviously like, you know, the DNA of, mm -hmm. Uh, the Superman creators and the Batman creators is, is there and their fingerprints are all over it. But like, we're writing a straight line from like, you know, uh, Magneto and, and Eunice the Untouchable and these characters to today. And like, uh, it's it, watching people realize that it's like, oh yeah, this is all one story. It's not, you're not talking, seeing people go from the the micro to the macro of what the X-Men is, is like really fun. And being a part of that is really sort of engaging and watching people who like didn't like something sort of go back and reevaluate it and be like, Oh, it was this so that this could happen and be like, Oh, it is really cool and invigorating. And I, I really like that. It's something you can only get in comics. So I'm, I, I enjoy that. Now, as fun as X-Men comics are, and I sure do love them. Uh, you 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 have kind of closed the book on that for now. Is that correct? I'm not writing any of them. I still read them. What 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 are you spending your free time with now? That now that you don't have X Men stuff to deal with, what do you got going on, Matt? Uh, well, that was a very good setup. Thank I you. Do what I, I do uh, what I can. Yeah, you're so professional. Um, I love it. The uh, I am writing a book called Hawkeye Freefall, which starts January first. Now, um, now, is this is this Hawkeye the uh, girl with the thigh cutouts who's very good at shooting arrows? Uh, no, it is the guy with the full pant who is very good at shooting arrows. Uh, no, our, is he is he still a professional screw up who we all love and whose Christmas story I have to, as we're recording this, read in two days as is tradition. Sure. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, it's Clint Barton, um, the best Avenger. Um, as he uh, goes on and goes on an adventure, it's sort of, you know, obviously with Hawkeye, it's a it's a very tricky book to navigate because uh, Matt Fraction and David Aha's run is so iconic and defining and and unique that you end up with this problem of like wanting to do something 
unique and defining and not do the same thing again, even though it was really good and it would be very easy. Um, so yeah, we're doing Clinton. He is the lovable screw up, but also, you know, the badass superhero and it's him trying to struggle with his work life balance and, you know, maybe making the wrong choices on both ends, but also him seeing a wrong that no one else is noticing and, and really becoming obsessed with making it right and like charging in head first and, you know, not asking for help and being like, well, I don't know how we get out of this book. We're going to fight our way out. And so it's, it's, you know, it's fully a superhero book, but it's funny and it's weird. And um, it's about his personal life and guest stars. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. Hawkeye is one of my favorite characters. And uh, I think it's a book that's really, you know, after, after Matt Fraction wrote it, it went to Jeff Lemire, and after Jeff, it went to Kelly Thompson. So it's very much a book that's pedigree is uh, uh, very much weighs on it, weighs on me, and and so I'm I'm very nervous, but also uh, uh, pretty excited for it to come out because it's it's fun, I think. And luckily, you have the incredible Otto Schmidt uh, kind of backing you up on this one to make it you know make your vision come to life. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, definitely. I'm backing up Otto, and not the other way around. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think if you walk out of this interview and you're like, "Wow, Matt's really annoying, and I kind of hate him," or whatever, like you should still probably buy Hawkeye because it's so good looking that like you can just buy a whiteout pen and white out the word balloons, and you'll still have one of the best comics of the year, um, even without my dumb jokes in it. Uh, yeah, Otto's just amazing. Like the his style and the characters and the action and and just like the, the acting in in the book is so good. Um, I've been I've been very like nervously sending it to a, a couple of my writers friends and you know one after the other. Like uh, I held my breath because uh, uh, Kelly is Thompson is such a huge Hawkeye fan and and wrote such a good Hawkeye book and then wrote West Coast Avengers. And, Absolutely. Uh, Kelly is is a good enough friend of mine that when something sucks, uh, she calls me and is like, hey, that sucked. <laughs> and like, she called me and was like, I read it. And it was the most pregnant pause I've ever had. And I was just like, oh God, Kelly, just spit it out. And she was like, I love it so much. And that was like, to me, like such a big deal. And, and, but a bunch of writers I really love have, have been checking it out and, and been very enthusiastic. So I, I, I'm optimistic that people will like it. I, I hope they will because it's uh, something I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah. If you're listening to this, when this comes out, that comes out on Wednesday yes. uh, and it's going to be a very exciting time. I know I'm looking forward to it. Uh, anything else on your uh, plate, Matt? I know you were saying that things are a little quiet right now, just waiting to get a few things you know, public, but you're still hard at work. Yeah, yeah. The uh, you know, I I had a long year, um, as I think everyone did, um, and so I I wanted to sort of stop and evaluate like what I was doing and and what books I wanted to do. And so, Hawkeye is something I've been working on for a while, and I'm very excited about. And I'm doing Force Works in February um, with Marvel, just because it's a book I loved and a cast I love, and and. So I was like, any chance to work with like Quake and Mockingbird and U.S. Agent and War Machine, I'm going to jump at because those are some of my favorite characters. Um, so, Is it going to have the fold-out cover that I spent a good 20 minutes trying to figure out how to open? Uh, no, it's definitely not. I wish it would, but uh, no, there's not going to be a fold-out. We're not going to have any foil covers. Um, we left that part of Force Works behind, unfortunately. Um, 
but yeah, it's really fun. And Juan and Ramirez is drawing it, and I'm very excited about that. And then I have a bunch of uh, other Marvel projects that I can't talk about yet, which is always cool um, to go on a podcast and say. But here it we makes are. Thanks for great radio. Great radio. Um, and then uh, I did a book called Four Kids Walking to a Bank uh, with my very good friend and artistic genius, Tyler Boss. And we are doing a new book together at Image next year called What's the Furthest Place from Here, which is sort of a post-apocalyptic coming-of-age story about uh, a, a gang of kids who live in a record store after the end of the world. And I'm very excited about that. I hope people dig it. I, look, if it's you and Tyler, I'm sure I will at least. Uh, guys, if you haven't read Four Kids, Walk Into a Bank, it's uh, really good. Uh I know Matt will hate this elevator pitch, but it's like Stranger Kids, but the Stranger Kids things don't fight aliens. They try and rob a bank. Sure, yeah. And there's a lot more to it, and it's a lot better than that, but that's what gets the SEO right now. Sure, yeah. Um, the uh, What's funny is that we launched the book the week before Stranger Things. What timing? And what timing on your part? Yeah. Um, I mean, we both just rip off the same stuff, I guess. But uh, that was a weird second week release of a book because there were suddenly just all these articles being like these book and this show are very similar and i was like oh that's weird i've never kids seen like riding bikes and playing dungeons and dragons who knew kids do like those things uh i've never seen the show although i've heard nothing but good things of course but i i, I didn't watch it because we were in the book and i was like i don't want to watch something that's similar to our book um yeah, the, the funny thing about Four Kids Walking to Bank is that I have people all the time say to me, like, oh, it's so unique. I've never read a book like that before. And I always laugh because when we were soliciting uh, creators to get pull quotes, two different creators gave us almost verbatim the same pull quote. And I was like, how unique could our book really be if two people said almost exactly the same thing? Um, yeah, I'm proud of the book. It's a cool book. It's a phenomenal read. You guys better check it out. It's was one of my favorites when I was finally able to pick up the trade. Uh, but I'll say that's a, that's about all the time we have. I know we've run a little bit long, but Matthew, I appreciate it so much. Uh, would you like to tell people where they can find you online and plug your stuff or not if you don't want people finding uh, you? No, people, uh, people are welcome to find me. Uh, I have uh, my Twitter is Ashcan Press, A-S-H-C-A-N-P-R-E-S-S. Um, and I'm always on there probably too much. Uh, and I, you know, as we yeah, all are. And I, you know, I like talking to people and sort of hearing people out and, and discussing things. And I'm sort of, you know, I figure if I have it, I might as well actually be accessible and not just like shouting out, I have a new book out today. But then I also have that as an Instagram and a Facebook and uh, all those things. And I don't ever use those. So you can go follow those things if you're interested, but I kind of don't post on them. That's great. Well, Matthew, thank you so much. Everyone else, uh, you know, we're going to be back in 2020. Uh, we got some really exciting stuff planned for January. Uh, I still have to finalize a few dates, but keep your ears peeled. You're, it's just going to be on this feed. It's going to automatically pop up on your phone again. Uh, so just keep listening. Uh, but until then, guys, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience.